Hi, it's Erin. I'm your regular co-host of First Bite. First of all, I want to thank y'all so much for tuning and listening to First Bite. We've been incredibly encouraged and excited by the feedback we've received and are looking forward to the future. In the meantime, if you've been enjoying First Bite, please take a moment, maybe pause your device to subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. This podcast started out as a small idea to bring convenient, tangible resources to SLPs and other professionals, and we value your feedback more than anything. Leaving those reviews truly helps us out. Enjoy the episode, and thanks for listening. Hey, Erin, have you heard that we have a promotional code for SpeechTherapyPD.com? I think I heard the same thing. Yes. So <laughs> as if we both hadn't heard that. <laughs> but um, it's first bite. So if you log on to speechtherapypd.com and enter the promotional code first bite, it takes $10 off an annual subscription. And Aaron, do that you want to? includes all the pod courses. Yes. And we have four now. I'm not sure if y'all knew that. We have four. We have first we have bite. Yeah, we do. It's speech uncensored. Um, and in case y'all haven't heard of this lovely lady, she focuses on adults. And I know that there's a fair few of you out there that PRN impedes and or PRN in adults. So be sure to check out Speech Uncensored. And it also includes the speech link and the SLP Now podcast with Miss Marisha, who I like fangirl crush. She's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay. All right. So promo code is first bite. Whoop. Whoop. And don't let it autocorrect you to B-Y-T-E because it does it did that to me a couple times. So Woo-hoo. there it is. Woohoo! <laughs> Hi folks, and welcome to First Bite. Fed, fun, functional resources for the pediatric clinician. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MSCCC SLP, the All Things Peds SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention, right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, in Cola Town, South Carolina, and guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light and hope to the world for the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, best practice for running a private practice, and all the nitty-gritty details involving feeding and swallowing by interviewing the subject matter experts themselves. We bring the data to you. Every fourth episode, I am joined by the lovely Erin Forward, MSP, CF, SLP, a Yankee transplant who actually inspired this journey and who also walks the wild, woolly, and sometimes sticky walk of early intervention with us. Sit back, relax, and watch out for all the squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I first met tonight's guest on an awkwardly timed speaking tour. It turns out that everyone in New York City and New Jersey knows that Memorial Day weekend is the weekend to go to the beach as the beach is pretty much open that weekend. Being the little Southern belle that I am, well, I kind of sort of missed that memo. 
I mean, it could easily be 85 degrees in December here in South Carolina. So our beaches are open year round. So, yep, I missed the memo and had poor timing on that speaking tour. Long story short, I was sent up north to one of my favorite cities to speak about pediatric dysphagia and feeding aversions on the worst weekend a person could want to go, as basically the entire feeding community was on vacation mode and had gone the opposite direction of me. And I can't say that I blamed them. It was wicked hot in the city that weekend, and the ocean was calling. Um, I, I would have gone too. It was really, really hot walking on the sidewalks. However, there were a few stragglers that stayed behind. And for that, I am grateful. In the room that day was a very stylish registered dietitian who rocked the most amazing pair of glasses that I have seen to date. And she kind of inspired my um, sequin cat eye reading glasses. So whoop, whoop. Well, her and I got to joking about being boy moms, and one thing led to another, and her and I got busy talking about the role of a registered dietitian in early intervention. What? You do that up here? I like half squealed, half shouted, half questioned, all with um, uh, a significant amount of glee in my voice. Well, of course, she replied, and I can't do a Yankee draw, but trust me, she had like the perfect um, New York City um, voice for that answer, and that was it. I was hooked. If I come across a state that is rocking their early intervention system, doing best practice in the most holistic way possible, then that's the practice and the model that I want to bring home and somehow implement in my little Palmetto state. Tell me more about this thing. That was kind of sort of my mantra over the last, um, has it been like a year and a half between emails and phone calls? And that is what led me and us to today's Fed Fun and Functional episode with Deborah Malkoff Cohen, MSRD, CDN, CDE, founder of City Kids Nutrition and New York City Eat Well Nutrition Consultation Services for children and adults living in and around New York City. So let me start with welcome, Deborah, and immediately follow that with a what in the world do all of those letters behind your name mean? <laughs> Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Um, my husband says the same thing. He's like, I, I don't even know what all those letters mean. Um, so break, just to break it down, um, MS is Master's okay. of Science. RD is Registered Dietitian. CDN is a New York State licensure. It's um, it's certified dietitian nutritionist. Um, in other states, it's LDN, licensed dietitian nutritionist. It depends on okay. what state you are. It just verifies all your credentials to make sure um, you're, you're legit. Um, and CDE is certified diabetes okay. educator. So it's a lot of things. Okay, so real quick, <laughs> the CDE is that per age group? Is that, does that mean like geriatrics or pediatrics or is that like an over? Um, no, that is just, I mean, that I, the, the, the age is not, it, it's basically adult. I, if you want, I basically only treat adult diabetes, um, or late teens, which are pretty much adult. I don't do pediatric. Um, but that's more of like a subspecialty, but they are still CDE, but you would probably subspecialize in pediatrics. The test is geared more towards Oh, you adults. have to sit for a test for that. Oh, oh. yeah. 
You have to do like a thousand hours, sit for a test. Oh, it's that, that was like me working on my CLC, the um, lactation consultant. Yeah, yeah exactly. I didn't have to do a thousand hours. That turns into the IBCLC, which I think is like 1500 hours. But like, whew, yeah, yeah no, no, thank you. It's a big, well, the thing is, is you have to remember you are, I mean, I'm adjusting insulin. I am, you know, really, um, in the nitty gritty, I love type one diabetes. So, you know, it is a very intricate, you know, nuance of how to treat, you know, treat patients and adjust medication. It's, you know, it's not just food. It's, it's a lot of medication adjusting. So you really need to know what mm. you're doing. I have, I have a little so. one down here that has Down syndrome, autism, type one diabetes, and exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. Yeah. Insufficiency. Yeah. Well, yes. All yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised the baby doesn't um, have yet. Well, mom already has him on a um, gluten-free um, vegetarian um, diet. He's, he's gluten-free, dairy-free. He's, he's basically oh, a, a vegan and he's doing amazing. Um, and this is why she's a dietitian. Um, she's actually a psychologist and she's, I mean, she should be, but like, she's, she's amazing. And I have, and I like break bread with this family when I'm doing therapy sessions and like model what he's eating and I model it. She has a, she calls it her teriyaki, teriyaki dinner. And I don't know what she puts in there, It's but it's amazing and delicious and it's pureed. And I will eat, go there knowing that I'm having my lunch while we are doing feeding therapy and like. Yeah, that's good. Better than I do. I need her to write a book. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, wait. If, if your kid's diet is very limited, then a, a big thing is making sure that everything they're eating is delicious and the most nutrient yes. dense, so that you're not missing any nutrients or food groups or that's, things like that. That's probably the best takeaway point for like pediatric feeding in general ever. <laughs> like, yeah. I just had a kid today um, from early intervention. I did an evaluation. He has autism and mom, they were eating meat and then mom wanted to make him a vegetarian vegan. And then I, I said, unless you're doing it for religious reasons, if the, if the child is already on the spectrum and or spectrum is, is like just another mm-hmm. level, but if your kid is a picky eater, taking away foods just because only makes it harder for them to find other foods they're going to like. If they already have texture preferences and other sensory issues, just taking foods away just to take them away um, is just doing the baby or child a disservice, unless it's for religious reasons. You know, if you're vegan for um, a religious reason, I'm never going to tell you not be vegan, but she just became vegan because she saw, you know, um, she saw a documentary and I was like, listen, you and your husband can eat any way you want. But if this is a two-year-old who, you know, he's already gluten dairy free and then she was taking eggs away in this way. And he, I, I went through his diet with her and he wasn't getting enough protein. He wasn't getting any calcium. You know, there's just no way he's going to grow properly That's... and be able to function with his therapies if he has no sense yes. of protein. His brain can't function right. So we went through his whole diet and, you know, I gave her a million suggestions and she was like, how do you know? <laughs> because you, Literally, you have all the like, alphabet soup. That's how you know these things. Yeah, she's like, how do you know all this? I'm like, 12 years. 
and I've seen a million kids with autism or, you know, picky eaters or food allergies and you have to be creative. And she was like, oh my God, I'm starving my child. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're a great mom. You just need the tools and the education and the options to think outside the box a little bit. You know, yes. she was like, I'm so happy I came. It was so cute. And so, you know, it's just, it's even just having a nutrition evaluation, not even doing services, but even that one hour together, gives a mom or a family or a caregiver so many more things that they haven't thought about that opens their mind to, you know, and even I said to her, you don't have to feed him chicken. You don't even have to give him meat if he gets enough. You know, I feed my son ripple milk and hemp milk because he had a milk protein allergy. I said 16 ounces of ripple milk is enough calcium and, and protein. He doesn't even need to eat any meat sources. But if you can't get that into him, you need to supplement with something else. You know? Okay. She, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. No, I'm just thinking you just you just justified the whole purpose for today in the opening like 30 seconds because <laughs> – that's that's that that's just it. Okay, so in the world of speech pathology, and folks that are listening, correct me if I'm wrong. We are not taught about interprofessional practice with registered dietitians. We are not taught that registered dietitians are the gatekeepers to the magical foods. Okay, so if you have a kid that's only eating like three foods, and we want a food chain or SOS approach to the next food up, then we need to consider what's best for that child. However, that is not our scope of practice. Our scope of practice is basically like the safety of the PO and the branching of the food, not the selecting of the food. That falls on the shoulders, the educated and impassioned shoulders of the registered dietitian. Now, that being said, I am sure that many of y'all out there have practiced the last several weeks, months, or years at, under the misinformation that a registered dietitian is, for lack of a better phrase, and I'm not being mean here, this is just honestly what was told to me by an older colleague several years ago. She said, an RD is basically a calculator. Their job is to tell the family how many calories the patient can have and that's their job. And I mean, I listened. She was older. She was wiser. She, I mean, that was my, you know, I trusted, but I didn't verify the source for lack of a better phrase. But then I met, and I'm not sure if, um, if those of y'all out there have heard it, I met Jeremy Pons and he was on probably, he had two episodes when we first started First Bite like a year and change ago. So, um, Within the first 10 episodes, you'll hear Jeremy. And he absolutely blew me away because he was the first person that I could actually work with collaboratively here on patient care. And he's the person that opened my eyes that a registered dietitian is more than a calculator. So, Deborah, for all of the folks listening, please tell us what exactly a registered dietitian does. I would love to do that. First, I just want to also tell people that um, a registered dietitian does 900 hours of um, an internship and sits for a national exam. Anyone can be called a nutritionist. So just be weary of people that hang up a shingle that says they're a nutritionist. 
Okay. Um, a registered dietitian, you can also go on eatright.org and find nutritionists in your area um, that are qualified at dealing pediatrics specifically. Um, I very infrequently do I specifically give parents calorie needs. Um, I find that that stresses them out. And unless I'm doing two feed where like you really need to do calorie and protein needs and free water and all that. But if it's for PO, I, I find that most parents will come back and like literally count calories and be very disappointed when they're, you know, orally defensive, um, sensory kid eats three bites at every meal and like eats half the amount of calories they need. Everybody, every child eats differently. What my, you know, my son was 27 pounds at one. Most kids are between 18, 17 is a small one-year-old and like 24 is a above average one-year-old. My kid was 27. He was also off the charts for height. So he was proportional then. Exactly. They say he's going to be six foot four. My husband is five foot nine. So, okay. (laughs) All righty. Um, but my kid is, he looks like he's four and he's two. My point is, is that, you know, if you have a five pound child, they're never going to be, they're going to be the 18 pound one-year-old. If you have a 10 pound baby at birth, they're going to be a 27 pound one-year-old. I don't give calories. I, I am more of a meet the family where they are. And, you know, we go through the diet, we go through what they're eating. Are they snacking? Are they grazing? Are they eating meals with the family? Are they eating age appropriate foods? Like the, the mom I had today, she, she wants her kid to be vegetarian, but she fed him juice four times a day. Like that to me is worse than being, having no meat. That's like, so much sugar. That's so like, much yeah. sugar. I, she said she was feeding him honest kids juice. So I Googled it and I said, it's nine grams of sugar per pouch. That turns into four and like two and a half teaspoons of sugar per pouch. So if you're eating three per day, your kid is getting like, what is that? Like, you know, a million teaspoons of sugar per day. (laughs) My boys get that one at lunch. That's the only juice they get for the day is one. And we actually drink Honest Kids at lunch. And then I kind of figure, well... The, um, the teachers have to deal with the afternoon sugar fallout, but I mean, they get their one and they're done and everybody, right. and what cracks me up is, you know, the summer they were up visiting my, um, my in-laws and they get, and my four-year-old, he goes, mom, and he gets all conspiratorial looking on FaceTime. I drank grandma's Coke. And then he looks <laughs> over his shoulder at her and, and she, I hear her like teasing in the background. Don't tell your mother. He goes, it was delicious. And I'm like, okay. But you know, when you come home, no more Coke for you. <laughs> exactly. Listen, my two-year-old's never had juice ever. I know he's going to have it at a birthday party. Yeah. But I always say to parents, and she, when she gave him cashew milk, I'm like, I said to her, I bet you it was the sweetened kind. And she said, you're right. Uh, when you give children chocolate milk, they're never going to go back to regular milk. When you start kids on vanilla yogurt, they're never going to eat plain yogurt. So... My kid is on plain Greek yogurt and coconut yogurt mixed. My kid is, you know, he's never had um, juice just because I know once you go down that path, you can't take it back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just try to teach families, you know, yes, when my kid goes to, he had a lollipop because he had to go to the doctor because he thought he had strep throat, but he didn't. 
and he had a lollipop and you th- you would think he had gotten like, I mean, he, he like freaked out because it was his first like real sugar <laughs> and he's hyper to begin with. I said to my husband, if he had sugar all the time, the kid would be bouncing off the walls. No. Um, boys are automatically, you know, crazy to begin with. So, I mean, the bottom line is, is I don't give calories. I give, um, I talk more about whole foods and I don't do portion sizes. Everyone says, what should my two-year-old be eating? You, I, I like Ellen Satter. You put it on the plate. They decide how much to eat. I like that. There's no finish your food. There, my mom used to say there are starving kids are all around the world. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to overeat because there are starving kids all around the world. I feel bad for them. Let's package up my food and send it. <laughs> um, <laughs> you say that, but I have a kid brother. I have a kid brother, but oh my God, one of my brothers one time looked at my dad. He goes, well, then send it to them. And or I love your brother. Um, this yeah. is the thing. Is well, he he almost was no longer a brother. My dad jumped old school Southern. My dad jumped up and he goes, boy. And I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> exactly. You're like, feed it to the dog. Just feed it to the dog. Yeah. Um, I was like, I'm going to disappear now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to go wash some dishes. I'll be back. Yeah, I'll be back. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, is that people don't understand that kids have satiety cues. They know when they're full. They know when they're hungry. So if a kid is saying, when my son tells me he's full, I don't push him. Sometimes I'll say one or two more bites if he like really has not eaten that much. Mm -hmm. Um, But when he's hungry, he's done. When he wants more, he gets more. Um, If he's eating like two pieces of chicken and he asks for a third, I will divert his attention and then say, okay, do you want some berries? Because I don't want him to overeat. Because we do know that it takes 20 minutes for the stomach to tell the brain it's full. But, um, wait, say that again. It takes 20 minutes for your stomach to signal to your brain that it's full. That's brilliant. All right. Continue. Sorry. So, you know, so a lot of times, you know, we, we want our kids to finish everything, finish everything, finish everything. And sometimes I'll make my son an adult oatmeal and it's, you know, steel cut. It has a ton of fiber and protein and we'll make it with banana or berries. And some days he'll finish the entire thing and some days he'll eat half of it. And and that's I, okay. Yeah, and that's fine. I never push him ever. Perfect. Because okay. I'm like, I know when you're, you know when you're full. How do I know when you're full? That's where I get so frustrated um, with some of the um, members of my interprofessional practice team for some of my kids when I'm like, you just gave them three ounces of formula through their G-tube and they get that how many times a day, like anywhere from five to six times a day. How am I, where, when, and how am I as the feeding SLP supposed to come in and try to teach them to eat purees or like the next stage up in consistency when they're full? No, they should, they should hold the three ounce, the three ounce, the three ounce feed before your session. Yes. Yes. But that is, um, that is commonplace because unfortunately most people are so worried about the quantity that they don't, that they right. forget. So then after the you leave, if, if they don't eat enough, then they feed after. Yes. Which is. The um, child is not going to starve to death, not eating three ounces. Okay, folks, did you hear that? What she just said. If you have a kid that you're working from a G-tube to an oral feed, see if they can just simply hold 
off. That is one of the most valuable cues that you can take away from working collaboratively with an awesome registered dietitian. Yeah, because why would they eat? The kid isn't hungry. There's no, the kid has no sense of urgency to try anything. If I'm full, I'm not trying anything unless it's the best thing in front of me. If a kid is early, orally defensive or is on a G2, there's a reason they have a G2. So unless they're hungry, they're not going to have any sort of push to try anything unless they're hungry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Perfect. Yes. I wish I, I'm going to buy a plastic drum so that when people say amazing, profound things like that, I can be like, (laughs) 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 all right. So from a scope of practice for the registered dietitian, y'all work with um, everything from um, patients that suffer from gestational diabetes. I'm sorry, diabetes. um, I love how I always go gestational because I work with everything personally. I work with everything except okay. eating dis- eating disorders and sports nutrition. Okay, so malnourishment, G two oh, yeah. feeds, feeding aversions. I just want I just want to like rattle off the words because most people don't know um, the disability types. Yeah. So, okay. Um, in EI, I've worked with um, autism, food allergies, um, cerebral palsy, G tubes, um, Down syndrome genetic conditions, just global delays, um, any, anything that would impact just underweight. I've literally in the entire time I've done EI, which is 12, over 12 years, I've had two obese kids, two obese kids. Have you ever seen anybody with Korshakov? Am I saying that word right? No, not really. You don't really see that here. Okay. I was just wondering because I mean, I I know. You go. No, go ahead. Uh, I do work at NYU a few days a week with the cleft and craniofacial team. Mm-hmm. And we did have um, a patient come from Uzbekistan mm-hmm. and she was two and a half years old and 14 pounds. Oh my stars. Yeah. And I replaced a G2. Um, I think it was, she had a, bila- a bilateral cleft lip and palate that was unrepaired at two and a half. So I think eating was very hard for her, mm-hmm. but she was also extremely malnourished. Um, her parents were fine. It was just, for some reason, she was very malnourished. So finally, we fought and fought and fought. And we finally placed a G tube, and she gained like nine pounds, and she looks like a different child. And she started walking. Now she's over three years old at this point, mm-hmm. um, and she's finally fine. But you know, parents couldn't get enough protein and calories. It's you know, it's a fine line where you know you where dietitians actually make work with the team to say, you know, hey. We need to place a G-tube. G I'm placing a G-tube on a three-month-old with a bilateral cleft lip who is eight pounds, seven ounces, three months old. Okay. Okay. So, all right. I just want to take two seconds here. Folks that are listening, when I first started out as the SLP, I worked at, in a silo, okay? It was, it's home health. We don't hardly ever get to talk with the team collaboratively. I mean, like, you know, you get to see them maybe once every six months of an IFSP meeting and half the time you end up calling in on those because you logistically can't get to that side of the town. I get it. Trust me. I wholeheartedly get it. But when I first started in the world of EI, I took it as a personal sign of failure if a child got a G-tube instead of um, mm-hmm. the hope that it actually could be. But that took me, I mean, this is, you're talking about an evolution in my practice over the last nine, 10, 15 years, however long I've been an SLP, like really truthfully, it was, 
I had to recognize that if a child needed a feeding tube because of a caloric, metabolic, cardiac, GI, pulmonary, genetic condition, then once they got the tube, they were able to, the the feeding tube was able to provide the quantity while I worked with the child and their family on independent, successful quality of the oral feed. Yep. And, and that was, that was a complete and total mind shift from how I was taught. Yeah. How I was taught and how I was trained. So it became this, instead of viewing a feeding tube as an enemy, because that's really truthfully, like, I mean, most of us out there, as soon as somebody says a feeding tube, you're like, no, but like first, not for everybody. But for some of these patients that have those complex etiologies, this opens a door so that the child can be, because because fed is fed is fed is fed is fed. 100%. Yes. 100%. Yes. NG, oral, G, GJ, J, or TPN. Get the kid fed and then watch them grow, walk, talk, and learn to eat. It's amazing. This and this three month old, almost three month old, that we're putting the G tube in. Mom's a nurse, yeah. And the kid, I changed the formula a million times. I've spoken to the pediatrician, you know, the GI. We sent her to GI. I've spoken to everyone on the team, and she's on Prevacid at a high, the highest dose for her age. She's on Elicare, which is obviously a hypo, you know, obviously the most hypoallergenic formula. She is still fighting feeds, you know, and I said to mom, once we place a G-tube, she takes an ounce of through the bottle, whatever's left over, you throw in the G-tube. She takes a three ounce bottle. You don't use the G-tube. She takes none of the bottle. All that goes through the G-tube. I said, the, the stress that's going to be released from this family is going to be huge. You know, they already have to worry about a big surgery, two big surgeries before she turns one. Let's alleviate some of the pressure on the family since all they want to do is feed their daughter and she's not even taking in enough formula. So she's not gaining weight, which is even more scary for, for, for a parent. So, um, and, and folks, that um, you, you said something in there that I want to just share. And a registered dietitian can make the formula changes. They do not need a pediatrician to sign off on formula changes. And sometimes when you have a kid that only sees the RD like periodically, but you can see that whatever formula they're currently on is like making them sick. It, if you can't get through to the pediatrician, reach out to the registered dietitian because yes. I have so many form I've had, I've had so many kids go from, and we can't use names, but I'll let you fill in the cues when the first ingredient is sugar and the second ingredient is corn. And they go yeah. from those synthesized formulas to like an amazing, plant-based, organic, actual food formula. And all of a sudden they start growing, growing hair, growing teeth, their color improves, their, the eyes, dis, the bags under the eyes dissipate. The RD can make those calls. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, I fight with insurance, get things covered, mm-hmm. um, you know, different, you have kids on G-tubes. I've changed G-tubes. Now I... When I'm at NYU, I have a little of a different role where I um, work in a team, like the feeding team at NYU and I work hand in hand. And even in my private practice, I have a few feeding therapists that I refer to like they're, you know, 
them and myself are like a revolving door. Like we work hand in hand. Sometimes people call me or contact me at through my website and I always get on the phone with them because I would say 50% of the time they need a feeding therapist and not me first. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times they'll say, you know, my child isn't eating. They only have a few textures or they're eating three foods. And I'll say, you know what? I can't help you because I can give you 15 foods for you to try until you get the feeding resolved. I, I'm, you're I'm, you're going to waste your money working with me. So I'll give my friends who do feeding therapy. And then I say in six months or whenever you feel like you've hit a stride, then move me back in. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it, 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 it isn't always the dietitian is the first line. They reach out to me, but sometimes I, you know, push them to an OT or a, a, um, an SLP feeding. Or one woman, I sent her to the feeding clinic at NYU. I was like, you kid, your kid needs a whole overhaul. Like, I don't know if there's a lip tie, a tongue tie. You know, you really have to just, you know, look at the whole feeding structure. I don't know if they're aspirating. You know, so there's a huge crossover between the two. So I always think, um, you know, I always think I always connect with feeding always, always. But, but that's why, that's why we should be working collaboratively as interprofessionals. I can't believe they're not more by by where you guys are. Okay. All right. So that's, that's just it. I have, I have, God has blessed my stars and I have traveled the nation lecturing. Okay. And that's so cool to me. And I have seen how different states practice. Every single state embraces early intervention slightly different than the states adjacent to them. Okay. So when I went up there and you told me that like you were within the early intervention system, like I've only seen that. I think it was in Kansas and in California before. I haven't seen it in the other states. Like in the state of South Carolina, we, I know we don't have registered dietitians readily available. And then part of me wonders, is that a bottleneck issue? And y'all, this is just me just expounding a situation like brainstorm style, but we only have like two programs in the state of South Carolina where you can finish your registered dietitian degree. And so I mean, if they graduate 30 a year and that's 60 new RDs across the entire state, not guaranteeing where they're going to go to. I mean, so hint, hint, if you're a registered dietitian and you're um, looking for an amazing job, South Carolina <laughs> is we're, we're sunny. We have the beaches. I was going to say, you can be 85 in the winter. I'm coming there. <laughs> we, my dog got attacked. Dog got stung by a bumblebee like two days before Christmas because the South. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. She went into anaphylactic shock and her face swelled up, but like, luckily, oh my my, yeah, my, our, her, um, our vet's amazing. And she was like, just bring her in because if it's going to happen, it'll happen to dog. Bless her. She's sitting there looking Aww. at me like, stop talking. So yeah. She's, she's spoiled rotten and fluffy. She's fine. <laughs> but I have to tell you for all the dietitians that have graduated in New York, um, there's probably three in early intervention in New York, three direct dietitians. Okay, so what does that look like? Because that's my second question of the day. So I was in early, so my sister-in-law um, is an ABA supervisor. Okay. And she had me, I worked at, when I, my first job, this uh, nutrition is my second career. So um, when I was working in the hospital just to get experience and to get hours and all that fun stuff, 
Um, I, my sister-in-law said, why don't you do this on the side? So I said, great, extra money. I'll get experience. And honestly, early intervention as a dietitian or a practitioner, you learn so much. There's so many different, I've learned about so many different pediatric diseases and learned to work with so many different families and dynamics. And I mean, it is crazy how much you learn. I've been in people's homes. I mean, I can't even tell you. Some people, the way some people live, like, I don't know how they functioned, but yes. you were literally, you're literally in people's homes. So, um, and the dynamics just, you know, with men check out, women check out, it's just dynamics of everything. It's crazy. When you have kids with special needs, it's a lot to deal with the family. And um, so uh, um, I became very in demand because I am... I just had so much experience. Um, and then there were a few other dietitians. And I think one was focusing more on like the psychology behind it. And I was more practical, giving like more practical, like this is what you should do, try these things. Um, but then my private practice started becoming busy. And then I started working at NYU and I just didn't have time. So instead of, and then I had my baby. So really I was doing services until my son was born, which was two years ago, to a little over two years ago. So now I just do evaluations. So I think there's only two other for services. I don't know how many people are actually getting nutrition services in New York now, but even just having the evaluation is so huge for families because in New York, early intervention is covered. It is a non-paying service. I know in New Jersey, patients pay based on your salary, but in New York, it is a free service. In South so, Carolina, it's a free service too. So folks right. don't have to pay for, if it's covered through our state early intervention system. And it's it's difficult exactly. to get in because you have to demonstrate like a certain level of discrepancy between functional capability and like for lack of a better phrase, like intelligence. So it, you normally have to have either a pre, like a, a private therapist has had to evaluate you and write up a really strong report justifying why you need the services, or you have to have like basically one and a half to two standard deviations delay in right. one of the areas in order to right. qualify. So exactly. But, but state does that different. couldn't afford it, you could get a nutrition evaluation that's covered. And even if you get like this woman today, her son's on Medicaid, she couldn't afford to go see a dietitian. Unless even on Medicaid? Medicaid. Huh? Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. So y'all state Medicaid will pay for the RD consult. Will pays for early intervention. Okay. Okay. I think they bill it through Medicaid. Okay. Because I think what they, I don't, to be honest with you, I really don't know, but they used to. And so my point is, is that you can get all of these experts through early intervention, where you probably not get all this covered through insurance, or even if you did get it covered, you know, you don't know what you're going to, are they going to come for an hour? A lot of these appointments now, they see you for 15 minutes. You know, a lot of doctors, a lot of doctor's appointments, you're in and out within two minutes. Hey, I'm not sure if you've caught the updates yet, but I have the pleasure, if you haven't seen it already, of announcing the 2020 SpeechTherapyPD.com Conference at Sea. 
We are going aboard a Royal Caribbean Alaskan cruise departing Vancouver, British Columbia, July 10th through 17th of 2020. And I am thrilled and humbled to be announcing that I will be presenting. I have a a three-hour course, a two-hour course, a one-hour course, and I'm co-presenting another three-hour course. And my co-presentation will be with the one and only Lee Ann Porter of Speech Uncensored, which is Speech Therapy PD's newest adult pod course podcast that just added to our lineup. And Marisha McGordy, the guru behind SLP Now, will also be there. And if you register before September 30th, then you get a free six-month subscription to SLP Now. So again, make sure that you register before September 30th of 2019 for the Speech Therapy PD conference at sea, um, which is July 10th through 17th of 2020. And I cannot wait to see y'all aboard a ship where we're going to see real life bears and like, hopefully we'll get to see Northern Lights. So whoop, whoop, see you at sea. Bye. Okay. So when you were doing services, cause now you primarily do just the evals for the early intervention right. system, but when you were doing Two questions. One, how did they get to you for an eval? Like who checks what box to say you have earned a registered dietitian EI eval? And then who checks the box to say you have earned the right or the door is open to get like services for a registered so dietitian? I, so I do the evaluation. If I deem they need services, I write in my note they need services. And I deem them that they need services. How did they get um, to you? So this is the funny thing is that a lot of service, so really what should happen in all the states is that I believe, and I don't know if this happens, but I believe when a child gets enrolled in early intervention, they should get a pamphlet of these are all the service sets or all the services that you can get an evaluation for in early intervention. A lot of families don't realize like in New York, we have vision therapy. We have you know, you can get um, orthotics, you can get, there's a lot of things you can get in early intervention that can be helpful. You can get a special high chair. I think you can get um, other things in early intervention to help you through physical therapy. Um, a lot of moms, you know, their kids have been in early intervention since they're 18 months and they don't really, they find out about nutrition when their child is aging out. Hmm. So I think what would be helpful in all the states is just to have almost like a pamphlet with the service coordinator and they check off. These are all the services that you can have an evaluation for if you think your child needs it. Okay. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that because there are so many, many things that I wish I could wave a wand and fix right now. And uh, but think about yeah. it. If your child is getting physical therapy or speech therapy or um, special instruction and they're barely eating or all they have, or they have a stomach ache all day because their formula is not right. Or they have a milk intolerance and no one knows about it, or they have reflux. They're not going to be able to focus on their task. You know what I mean? And so all the therapies that you're giving them are really for nothing because they're not optimizing all the therapy. They don't feel good. Right. Absolutely. And that's why, okay, so to grow on that, when they leave early intervention, if they're not adequately nourished, hydrated, and have met their caloric 
um, needs. Then they roll over to the LEA, the local education association. Most of the kids in our caseload are going to qualify for some level of early childhood special education classrooms. Then they go to school and there is no feeding therapy. No, there's no nutrition either in CPSE. Yeah. And so like that becomes, all right. So folks that are listening, go check out anything. If you're an SLP, go check out anything you can by Emily Homer. She, um, I, I don't remember her website off the top of my address. I think it's emilyhomer.com or emilyhomerslp.com. Um, she's out of Louisiana and has dedicated her life to fighting the good fight for creating feeding and swallowing therapy within public schools on the grounds that if a child is not safely or adequately hydrated and nourished, they will not be ready to learn. 100%. And and then they will not be able to access the goals and accommodations created within their IEP. It's mm-hmm. And the best part is this woman, because she's so cool, you can email her and she will give you for free her protocols, like samples of her documents, so that you can work to create that within your LEA, within your local That's location. awesome. She's... And she's got just the coolest hair. Like, oh my God. I just, I mean, like really truthfully, like I have a fair amount of gray hair, like in my front, but she's got like the perfect ratio of like salt and pepper. And it's just, she's, she's as, she's as beautiful as she is brilliant, just like you. And that's pretty badass. So like, Aww. okay. But I, mean, great. I mean, but that's true. Like I had a little kid that came in to our cleftic craniofacial team and he's nonverbal and he's eight and he has Mobius syndrome, which is a Ooh. syndrome. Yeah. And he's actually on a G tube, and I want to put him on real food blends. And I said to his, and he's nonverbal. I said, speech therapist was there, and his nurse was there, and he lives in like a kid, and he lives in like a long term care facility. And um, I said to, and he has behavioral issues. And I said to his his care team that was there, I wonder if he has stomach aches. And they said he's been head banging. And I said, I bet you his stomach hurts. And they said, yeah. well, he has a He has had loose stools and he has had, you know, some stomach aches. And I said, well, why isn't anybody talking about his tube feed? The kid only eats one formula. Why can't we put him on real food blends? If he's banging his head and he's nonverbal, there's something going on. Maybe his behavior would be better if he didn't have a stomach ache. And they checked his ears and he didn't have an ear infection. So, you know what I mean? It's like, it's a process of elimination. Somebody caring enough to like changing this kid, you know? Did what happened? Did he get better? Did he improve after? It just happened. It just happened on Monday. We have conference every Monday. So now I have to reach out to, um, we're trying to send him to like this clinic at NYU that does GI and a bunch of other things, but I'm going to reach out to Real Food Lens and the RD on his, and the RD on his team at his long hair facility. Cause I don't want, I don't want to be the one that's like flying in on a horse and changing everything. Like I like to talk to everybody involved because I'm seeing him like one, one time in the middle of a conference. I don't know his whole history. So I don't like to just change things. I like to, um, holistically create function as a team. Of course. So I want to speak to the other people and see what they think, but it takes, you know, you need to come, you need to think, uh, you know, you need to think outside the box and you need to have as many people on the team as possible that can think like, hmm, if you're feeding somebody a formula all day, every day, and they're headbanging or they're having diarrhea, hmm, maybe it's not working out well. 
Like, let's think, you know, same with kids at home. If, if a kid is not meeting their calorie needs and they're running around and all they're having is juice and crackers all day, they're not full and they're, and you know, what is in their food? You know, how can we optimize their nutrition? How can we, you know, help them focus in school? I talk a lot about protein for breakfast enough with like waffles and peanut butter, you know, and, and um, bagels with cream cheese. It's not enough protein for kids to stay full till lunch. Hey, I happen to think that New York City has the absolute bagel and locks, like best bagels and locks I've ever had. But, you know, there is a fair amount of locks mixed in with that, just saying. <laughs> yeah, but there's no five-year-old that's like, give me locks. Mine? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Bear will not eat avocados. They're disgusting, Mommy. He will not eat guacamole. But if I pull out smoked salmon on a Sunday no morning, he will eat smoked salmon and like... Oh my God, my girlfriends rip on me. They're like, your four-year-old will eat smoked salmon, but he won't touch an avocado. And I'm like, he's my kid, but he won't touch an avocado. I'm like, what is wrong with you? He's like, there's fine. (laughs) But you know how many kids go to school and have, you know, waffles with pancakes or syrup and butter and have no protein and have a ton (laughs) of sugar and then are bouncing off the walls and then an hour later are starving. Um, chicken and waffles is a staple in South Carolina. So yeah, we, um, but it's fried chicken. Yeah, that, no, um, chicken. Yes, but that's, I mean, it's yes, but oh my goodness, this is why we have such a high rate of the diabetes. <laughs> but also, yes, but also if the waffle was smaller and they didn't put syrup on it and they just put a little butter, like I'll eat, a, my son will eat waffles, but I won't put syrup on it. I just put butter. Yes. And you probably serve it with the protein. Yeah. He eats with eggs. Yes. Okay. So these kids, they come to you, you go to them. Um, when you were doing early intervention, you would go to them, which I can't even fathom the amount of difficulty of finding a sub and finding a parking spot and then traffic. But like, no, I don't have a car. What are you, what are you talking about? You, you, wait, you don't. This oh, is Manhattan. You don't have cars. Yeah. I, that just dawned on me. Oh my gosh. I did run into and get stuck behind tractors. So like that's our version of traffic. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Yeah, I get stuck behind garbage trucks. (laughs) Yeah, no, and like an actual tractor. And then there was the time. Yeah, and then there is down in Batesburg, Leesville, you do have to watch out when um, they're running their horses. So like- Oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah, come, come. I I love horses. You you might catch diabetes or hypertension while you're here, but like- (laughs) Okay, but so you, you you go there and you give guidance on expanding the food options, making sure they're reaching um, all of the nutritional elements, their yes. protein, their, their, that those are the things that we're missing. Have you read food chaining by any chance? No, but I, I, I think I have the book to be honest. Oh my gosh. But I know what it is. I know what it is. Yes. But that's. Y'all, this is why I love working with the RDs because I feel like they're that's your person to help you food chain to make sure that the kid's diet is nourished so that they don't have the constipation, stomach issues, diarrhea, whatever. And I also want all kids off Miralax. I'm like on an anti-Miralax campaign. Um, okay. I um yes, because I have a kiddo that um was actually just recently recently hospitalized with constipation so bad that his um, bowels pushed his lungs up and he had an abscess into his, I think it was his what? right. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
and it gets better. What does he eat? Um, he's completely G tube fed with a little bit of pureed foods. And so, why um, is he on real food blends? Um, 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 if only. Um, why and, real food blends is covered under insurance? All insurance. Uh, the, uh, there's, there's variables. Um, okay. I work in the South and because I have, um, two X's, I don't have a, um, functional IQ sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, um, I expressed concern that we should probably run some diagnostics and was informed that, um, the tiny human just needed to be vented more and give the daily Miralax dose. And I was like, we can't keep drugging our kids to make yeah. them poop. I wholeheartedly think that this little guy has, um, oh my gosh, not to George's anomaly. Um, it just completely went on my head where the final portion of the, I know what you're talking about. It's not innervated. Hirschsprung's disease. Von Wildebrand. I know what it no, is. No, it's Hirschsprung's disease. Oh, I Hirschsprung's think. disease. Yep. Yes. And, yep. and Hirschsprung's does not have to be diagnosed immediately after birth. It could be diagnosed later on when they're a couple years yep. old and they've struggled with. And I was told, no, that they did not feel that it was necessary. I was like, this is like his fourth hospitalization in a year. Like, oh. and, and he's on a quote unquote organic formula, but like that's, it's clearly not cutting it. Like it's clearly not... If we're organic needs is that it doesn't mean that it's necessarily the best for the child. Yes, yes, but uh, I hear you. I, my head, my head gets banged up against the wall a lot of times. Also, yeah. So you should try real food blends. I heard that it helps with that. <laughs> well, also, you know, you know why some kids I have on real food blend two, one or two couches a day. It's not the whole food. Mm-hmm. Sometimes one or two couches just helps them go. I have I have a lot of kiddos that when they switch away from the sugar ones and go to just um and there's there's a couple of different plant food based ones out there that it does make that much of a difference and all of a sudden they start yeah. having like salad. The only food. reason why I love real food blends is because it's six different flavors. So yes, like, if I had to be on a formula for my whole life, I don't want one flavor every meal for the rest. That's like you eating vanilla yogurt five times a day forever. Yeah, no, horrible. thank you. I no, want to no. have salmon or chicken or beef or lentil or or um egg. You know what I mean? I, to me, if I were a parent, I it would be real food blends or or I that would be my only option, to be honest, as a parent. Yeah. Knowing what's in there. And I don't get any kickback from them. I just love their product. I mean, now, and I've seen the successes on it. I found them when they were literally cut like brand new and she has a, her son's on a G2. She made it for her son. Her son is on the product. If she didn't believe in it and if it didn't resonate with her family, she wouldn't, I mean, she made the product for her son. So, yeah. and I just have seen how, how amazing the kids react to it. I mean, no more vomiting, no more retching, no more Miralax. It's amazing. So I, I want to reach out to somebody and get somebody to explain to me the complications of all the medicines. So if anybody out there listening, if you have a contact that can explain to us verbatim the side effects in um, all of the GI medications, like I know Miralax, the, the ingredient that makes Miralax white, I read an article in like actual news, not pseudoscience news, that it's the same ingredient that makes the white foam of your tennis shoes. Yeah. And I was like, that's fantastic. 
in that it's not. So yeah, so somebody send me an email, michelle.dawson.slp at gmail.com or um, firstbite at speechtherapypd.com. Woo, woo. Okay, all right. I, ha- we, I, have to, I have to get us back to the last question because we have squirreled. Um, and, and I <laughs> that's appreciate what happens, that. doesn't it? It always happens. Yeah. But that's because we're both passionate and I love I that. Know. Okay, I know. so um, if... Um, Oh, wait, I, I slid down my screen. All right. The, what are the top three most common pediatric feeding and swallowing disorders that you've treated over the last couple of years in early intervention? And have you seen that shift? So a lot of, a lot of what I see are texture issues Okay. Um, for a lot of the kids and, um, a lot of it, I, I mean, in the EI, I do, I see a lot of um, spe- kids on the spectrum. So it's a lot of um, food selective, food selectivity. So like only crunchy, only smooth. I only want food in this, this, you know, specific box, you know, this specific yogurt. Um, and a lot of it is just underweight and not meeting calorie needs. It's not really swallowing issues as much. I mean, a lot of kids um, have a lot of sensory issues. So it's a lot of um, low tone also. So we have to work within that, like without adding salt, like how we could add flavor with like lemon or other things and work on stuffing. A lot of kids stuff in pocket. Mm-hmm. Um and then, so a lot of what I do with the speech therapists and feeding is that we'll have like a joint session. We all, before I retired my sessions, is that we would have a joint session and we would come up with a, a wish list with the parent of foods they want to add. And then this, the speech therapist would then go on her way of like how, of what texture the child is up to. And sometimes if they, if, if they loved macaroni and cheese, we wanted to get macaroni and cheese in first, we would blend it and then we would increase the texture because if they liked to blend it, they would like it in full pieces. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what I did as an infant with infants is when they were babies on purees and not gaining weight is after they were like eight or nine months old, we would just blend table food. And so get away from the pouches and the low calorie stuff and we would blend regular food. And that once we knew they were not allergic to anything in, in that food. And then once we knew when they were older, you know, if we blended ravioli with meatballs, well, like, Hey, once the kid could tolerate more texture, we would just chop the ravioli and mush the meatball. And so then they would just, the texture would just sort of, you know, we would just get the texture to where the kid was at, but the flavor was all the same. Have you, have you read the, have you seen the Itsy diet come out yet? What's that? Oh, let me blow your mind. Itsy diet. It's the new international dysphagia diet standardization initiative. Um, it was, um, so you know, the national dysphagia diet, the NDD diet, like level one through four, um, Mm -hmm. pureed, those kind of things. The Itsy diet has been created to replace that. Okay. So it was theoretically supposed to go live, big, bad, and ugly on, I think it was May 1st, 2019, but we're just starting to see it trickle down. And it has seven stages of period foods and like oh, hell's bills, I think four stages of liquids. 
um, four or five stages of liquids. And um, I can't, I, it, there's triangles, but it's I, it's the acronym is IDDSI. Check that one out because that is, um, and folks that are listening, um, Aaron and I covered an episode on ITSI um, either the end of July or the beginning of August. And, um, but it's what she's describing is perfect. Taking a child that has a sensory feeding aversion, or if you have a kid that, um, has, um, an oral dysphagia with like the motor planning on how to manipulate the bolus, to be honest, I do not use chewy tubes or Z vibes because you don't need to wake up the face and you don't need to teach a kid to chew on plastic in order to to, to teach mastication. But if you slowly increase the viscosity of the food and shape the food out that way with actual food, just like you were describing with like the meatballs, like going from puree to like chopping and dicing, you're working your way up the itsy triangle and up the um, appropriate developmental norms on what I lovingly refer to as a food age. So, oh my God, yeah. so I was do- we were doing it. We didn't even know we were doing it. Yes, that's everything you just described is best practice. That's why I was like, she has to have heard of Itsy. Okay, Google the Itsy. It's wonderful. But I was just doing it because I, so I made my son's baby food, A, because it was much less money, and B, because (laughs) I made my own. It's a fortune. A pouch here is between $1.99 and $2.50 for one pouch. Are you kidding? Well, that's because you're in the city. I mean, they probably got to ship it in from like Cancun. But my point is, for cost reasons, I made my son's own purees and I also was able to change what I could make them in a million different ways. Yeah. What I tell parents to do now is everything you get from the supermarket, take the packages and throw them out. Yes. And just put it in your freezer in the plastic container or put it in like, you know, a Tupperware. And then if you need to cut the, the how to make it, cut the um, baking or cooking instructions out of the package and put it in the Tupperware. I said, because everyone sees that it's this brand of this, this brand of that, and then they brand relate, and then they won't need any other brands. Yes. Okay. So So then also the pouches, folks, we're teaching our children, they're a generation of suckers. Like they learn to suck and not learn how to do the hand to mouth oral prep stage of their swallow. And Mm -hmm. we're, and we're messing up all of our developmental norms. So just get rid of the squeezy pouches and spoons. Spoons are, yes. Okay. All right. So you, your primary ones that you see are, um, sensory. Do you see, so you got your sensory kiddos that typically are on the spectrum where, what about cardiac kids? Do you see a lot of cardiac babies? You know, I have seen like, um, hypoplastic left heart syndrome. I've seen a few of those, but they're always just very, very thin. Um, and they really have no, they mostly have low tone also. I have seen a few kids with cardiac, not a ton, um, a few, not a, not a, not a huge amount. What about um, children that have CP or strokes? A few, a few not a lot. Okay. So the bulk of your caseload and in early intervention are children that are typically on the spectrum. Yeah. And I do see a lot of preemies. So when preemies get out of the NICU and they are very small, um, I really work with the parents on waking and, and not having them do regular purees and having them bulk up purees, um, you know, trying to make the food as calorically dense as possible. But, you know, you're also balancing that with 
you know, I don't want a super heavy kid who then won't be able to sit up and do anything gross motor wise. So, um, you know, it's a fine balance because then they're all orally defensive because they've had, you know, an NG tube and like tubes down their throat since they're born. So, um, so that's a very, and they have a million therapies. So that's also a very delicate balance, but really in New York, I don't know if it's different state by state, but for me, um, it's mostly been sensory and it's not only sensory autism, it's just sensory in general, um, sensory, um, low tone, you know, just underweight. Some are just parents that are clueless and, you know, their kids can't gain weight. Or I had a little boy who was so cute. Mom was a personal trainer and the whole family was from Jamaica and they were vegan. And he was like two years old and 22 pounds. Oh my now God. my son was 27 at one. Yeah. This kid was so cute. And mom was clueless. And I was like, you're a personal trainer. How do you not know your kid's not getting enough fat and protein? I, I, I changed. I mean, they're still vegan, but I was able to just educate her on high calorie, high protein, vegan foods. The kid gained six pounds in like nine months. She sent me like a holiday card. I saw them in August. I think she sent me a holiday card. He had gained like six pounds. And he was like, oh, bless. He was hungry. Yeah. And I was like, stop with all like the pretzels and the potato chips. Cause people don't realize like Doritos or like Pringles are vegan. Just because it's vegan doesn't mean it's healthy. So, um, so I educated her on Because some of the vegan foods are not delicious. <laughs> no, but you, the thing is also is making sure your kid is getting enough protein and fat. You know, listen, lentils are, are great with rice, but white rice is giving a kid no nutrition. Switch it for quinoa or switch it for, you know, a different, like a wild, you know, black wild rice. And make sure you're getting enough fat and protein and, and, and making sure that you're substituting and not just giving them like potato rice pancakes, you know, um, making sure that the rice or the flour you're using is like almond flour or quinoa flour or, you know, making sure that they're, I mean, I actually had called a pediatrician and I was like, something is going on with this kid. Like he's not gaining weight. And then finally, um, you know, mom had changed the diet and like literally texted me from the supermarket, everything she bought. And he's, he gained six pounds. So it's not like I'm there to change their diet. I'm just there to teach them how best to eat under the diet they want to keep. That's beautiful. Yeah. But people don't realize that, you know, educated people don't always know what's out there. Well, and, and then there's also the stigma. I mean, like, let's be honest. When I think of a registered dietitian, my first thought is, oh, my God, if I tell her what I eat, she's going to tell me that, like, I eat junk food. You know what I mean? Like, I like my nightly square of dark chocolate with, like, sometimes sea salt, sometimes raspberry. I love that. I love dark chocolate with sea salt. Um, my boys, my boys are hooked on dark chocolate and in East for Easter, if somebody gives them like regular chocolate and like the Easter egg, like the milk chocolate, they're like, mom, this is the bad kind. And my husband's like, got it. I will, I will take one for the team. <laughs> Cause I mean, he's, he's surrounded by dark chocolate year round, but like there is that, there is that concern that like, and each one of our professions sit back and think about it. We all sin, we all pass judgment and have assumptions on what it is that our colleagues do. 
You know what I mean? Like most times when people hear that I'm the speech pathologist, they assume I'm going to have a giant bag full of toys and flashcards. And I'm like, nope, I am not that kind of a therapist. But it depends. Like, like yeah. my son still uses his pacifier to sleep. He's a little over two. He's not going to be five years old with a pacifier. Everyone no. does what they feel is good for their family. I don't pass judgment on people. This woman came in today who had the kid on the spectrum. She's like, he has his pacifier all day long. I'm like, okay, that I don't think is great. It's for speech. I think it's not good. But my kid has it when he's exhausted and when he goes to bed. He, yes. doesn't, have it in, he doesn't have it in public. And I'll cross that bridge when I get rid of it. But I don't, if somebody comes into me and tells me they eat cake, I'm like, I eat cake sometimes. I mean, like, I just don't do it every day. It's like my, it's like a fun food for me. I don't yes. eat every single day. I wish I could. But like, there's everything in moderation. Believe me, there are some dietitians that are crazy. You know, there are some people that eat like kale chips and broccoli and never eat anything. No, don't eat carbs. They're probably very sad people. No, I'm kidding. I was going to say that I could hear my grandma going, oh, bless her heart. That baby just needs them some mashed potatoes and gravy. Exactly. But you know what I mean? I'm sure there's a few people in every profession that takes it to the extreme and, you know, but people come see me and they're always like, Oh, you're so normal. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, obviously food, everybody loves food. We eat when we're hungry. We eat when we're sad. We eat when we're happy. You can't avoid eating. So when I feel so bad, when like I see a three month old that hates eating, cause yeah. I'm like, that is just an innate form of joy. And like everyone should be able to eat. Yes. So that's why, and that's why with people, kids on a G tube, I'm like, I want to make it as like pleasurable for them as possible. Like I hate continuous feeds. Like let's try to bolus feed kids so that they're not connected to a backpack. Yes. Okay. So folks, this is why you need to find an RD. All right. So, I mean, like really truthfully, you're okay. For those of us that live and work in rural areas like myself, um, the registered dietitian is probably not the person that works at the WIC office. Most of the individuals that work at the WIC office here where I live are nutritionists. And for my medically fragile children, uh, often I need the skill set of the registered dietitian. So for me personally, I have to often um, have them work in collaboration with uh, the specialty care clinic at our larger hospitals or be seen at a specialty feeding clinic with our major um, state hospital uh, or some of your larger cities will have registered dietitians and like outpatient clinics. But those are, where where else can I find an RD? I know those I are the ones that I- Because your WIC office might have RDs. They might just call them nutritionists, but they probably are hiring RDs because it's it's a federal program. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's we're probably just, an RD. Yeah. So check. I just know that like in my local offices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But just every RD is different. Not some of them are great. Some of them are, you know, I don't know. Some of them might, an RD might be brand new where you are. So everybody has a different skill set. You know, yes. like I am not amazing on TPM and I am not amazing on all formulas. Like I definitely I have some inpatient RDs in the hospital that I am, it are my go-to for certain questions. On like count on like concentrating formulas. Like my strong point is like outpatient RD and like working with families and pinpointing other issues. Like working with the whole family. If it's inpatient calculations, like it's so funny you start with the calculations. Like that <laughs> is not my strong point because like I I don't really deal with that many tube feeds. I deal with some of them, 
but I don't, I'm not inpatient dietitian. Like I'm not in a hospital. So, and most of my clients in my private practice are seeing me for other reasons. And I see adults also. So I sort of have a really broad, my, my overall practice is very broad, but in early intervention, most kids are not on a G2 where I live. Yeah. And see, that's, that's just it. We all have, like, we all go to school and we learn the same thing, right? Like all RDs go to school and you have to learn certain subject matters. All SLPs go to school and you have to learn the big nine. And then you get out and then you specialize in what calls your soul, right? Yeah. But that's why, that's why all of our, the medical system is moving in the direction of interprofessional practice because we have to be able to have these conversations. We have to be able to say, hey, Susie Q from down the street, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? And have a skilled and informed opinion given back to you. So, okay. And that's, All right. and that's why I love early intervention. Like I've already been doing it for so long and I still want to be in it, which is why I'm only doing evaluations. Like I don't even have time to do evaluations, but I still do them because I love it so much that I don't want to leave it. Yes. Yes. It's, it, it sucks you in. It and one of the, like, I always joke when I'm like lecturing, I'm like early interventions, like this vortex at first, you're like, I don't want to do that. And then you're like, this is amazing. <laughs> okay. And, and even the mom today was like, I, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't meet with you. Like this was amazing. Uh, See, this is why I do what I do. Yes. We're called to help heal. That's, that's exactly. Okay. I adore you and I want to hear more from you. So where do we go? If somebody wants to listen to you on like a regular basis or like learn more from you, how do they find you? Where do they go? Um, well, my website is nyceatwell.com. And then okay. I have a page on Facebook. It's, I think it's my name, Deborah Malkoff Cohen City Kids Nutrition. Okay. And so I don't have any, this is my first podcast. <laughs> I mean, it took us forever, but we. Made it. I know. This is so much fun. Oh, but, um, so they can always ask me questions there. Shoot me an email if anybody has any cases they want, just like an opinion on. I can always help them. Okay, and and you have a dear friend that's got a radio show that you guessed. I do. That- so my nurse practitioner at NYU has her own radio show on Sirius. I think it's channel okay. one ten. It's the nurse, the uh, nurse practitioner show. So I go on frequently. She has her show every, um, every two, two Thursdays a month she's on and she's amazing. And, um, she has great topics. I just did a feeding. I just had actually two feeding therapists, me and an inpatient dietitian do a whole show. Um, and we just pick topics all the time about interesting things. So, um, it's really great. People call in all the time about so many Feeding, swallowing, you know, texture issues. It's amazing how many kids are really suffering from just a, a myriad of different things when they're young. Yeah. It's we're we're saving babies that we used not to save. And now we're oh, 100%, 100%. And, and, and and we're and the rest of the world is trying to play catch up. So this I is know. But that is, this is so cool. Oh my gosh. I am so grateful that you didn't go to the beach and that you are you <laughs> and fun. <laughs> You're so cute. <laughs> oh, I wish okay. you looked closer. I know. I was just thinking like, 
when am I going to the city again? Tun, tun. Right, I don't know. Last time I was there, I totally got ripped off in one of those. What is it? The catamaran? They put you on the back of the bike oh, and they paddle you around. No one who does that. I'm the tourist do that. I'm the tourist. They took two hundred dollars. I went for like a twenty minute <gasps> ride, and he goes has two hundred dollars. I was like, what the he double hockey's Okay, all right. That that's that's a very patient husband. That's a conversation for another day. Hold on one oh second. I got to switch us to questions. Everybody's like, oh, Michelle, she's so gullible. <laughs> Today, I am asking for your help. It is with the unrelenting support of sponsors, donors, and volunteers like yourself that feedingmatters.org is able to make a positive impact in the lives of children with pediatric feeding disorders. By supporting Feeding Matters, you can become a driving force towards systemic change to create a better world for children with pediatric feeding disorders. So donate today at feedingmatters.org backslash donate. Also, thank you because they're putting good out there and they need to be supportive in this initiative. So on behalf of First Bite, just want to say thanks. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode.